Hi, this is Jennifer Gaskin. And this is Giselle Rivera Flores. And this is Don't Don't Touch Touch My My Podcast. Podcast. The show where we delve into the complexities of diversity, inclusivity, and what it means to be a Latin and Black woman in America. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Don't Touch My Podcast. This is our summer season where we are saying, don't touch our politics. <laughs> we never get that quite right, Giselle. <laughs> so today we have a very special guest. We are talking to a current school committee member who is actually running for re-election. So special guest, go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us your Worcester story. Hi, listeners to Don't Touch My Podcast, which because I'm 61 years old and I always have to go look at it. I always mess up the name of the podcast, but I have it. It's one of my favorites. So it's easy for me to find. Clearly we mess it up and we we appreciate it. it. (laughs) That's good. I'm glad, I'm glad that it's, so my name is Sue Mailman and on my literature that will be left at your doorsteps, it will say Sue Coughlin Mailman. And part of that maiden name is, has a lot to do with probably why I'm running for school committee. I am a fourth generation business owner of electrical contracting company in Worcester and have spent a lot of time in my, I already told you how old I am, so you can figure out the math backwards from there, but have spent a lot of time in my career in education. My dad was very involved with the vocational high school and that was his baby. And he was the general chair of advisory for 40 years. So in our household at dinner at night, it was about apprenticeship. It was about voc schools. It was like, that's the kind of stuff that we talked about. It was about electricians, how to find new ones and bring on good ones. And how come everybody doesn't want to be a tradesperson? So it was a very kind of brass tacks upbringing. I took over the business around about 2000. And so over the past 23 years, I've been in charge and almost every facet of this, I was an unusual business owner of a decent sized company in Worcester. And I had this woman, Lois Green, who was a mentor and Lois told me years ago, Sue, if you get asked to do something, you have got to say, yes, I don't care how busy you are. I don't care what's going on. We need to change the face of who, who is on boards, who's on tables, the same things that we're talking about now, which was my experience. I said, okay, yep. I took that message to heart for sure. And I've chaired the chamber board and I've chaired the YWCA board, and I've done a lot of fundraising things. And in every aspect of that work, I also chaired the board at Quinsigamon, which was an awesome, all of the focus of that work has really been around education and been around the next generation of whatever kind of person we were trying to hire in my company. And the tables I would sit at in Worcester, we talked a lot about our public school system and that if this school system, we have an opportunity in Worcester to have the, we're the right size city to be able to do something really well. And we talk about that a lot. And the, the gents, I guess you guys could appreciate that. The gents would say, we need somebody to run from the business community for a school committee. And I 
really admire the people that are younger than I am, and most of them are, that have been in office or run for office while they have children, while they are. I don't feel like I would have been able to devote the time. So I feel like this is a time in my life when I'm able to devote the time. We've been through some struggles with my business in the last number of years, and they've been significant. And that even more reinforced the fact that the kids in our Worcester public school system are going to be the kid are they're going to be the people that have the new podcast 10 years from now have the electrical contracting company in this city are sitting at the tables running government and everything else and that it matters that we improve our performance and it has been a struggle in the last number of years to to get folks on the same page. And I felt like with my experience on boards, as a somebody that is probably more knowledgeable about vocational education than most everybody else that is serving now or has served before, um, I felt like I could add some expertise to that. And since we're spending a ton of money on schools and on vocational programs, I thought my voice could be useful at this point. Did I answer that question? Absolutely. <laughs> you sure did. One thing I always appreciate about Sue is that Sue works in a male-dominated industry and has really created a pathway for women to yes. kind of succeed in these spaces as well. And I've always, since I've met Sue, appreciated that about her and making sure that women are represented and making sure that women are seen as fully capable as men, despite the industry. So for one, thank you for that. Thank you, Giselle. Absolutely. Tell us a little bit about how the school committee composition. So I believe you are running at large this so, year and you're currently in an at-large seat. Is that correct? Correct. So we were all at large in the prior election, but because of the lawsuit that was brought against the city for representation, the lawsuit was only brought against the school committee. It's an interesting thing to, to think about why it wasn't brought against the city council. And we've actually had some discussion about that too. So that we, so that what came forward is that we were to change our our system so that we had representation for majority minority districts. So we are going from six at-large candidates plus the mayor, who is an at-large candidate, to two at-large candidates plus the mayor plus six districts. So it is going to be a very it is going to be confusing for voters, and we've yet to really see a lot come out from the city that is going that is explaining to voters where they live, what their district is. It's possible you could live in a different school district than you do for a city council district. City council districts are one, two, three, four, five. School committee districts are going to be A, B, C, D, E, F. So on a podcast, I need maps and visuals and I work with my arms. So I'd be showing you all kinds of stuff, but that's the gist of it. And what I believe the city is going to do at least once and hopefully twice is to send something to voters so that they say, Sue Mailman, you live at number one Main Street and you are going to vote and you are going to be voting for District Councilor 1 and District Councilor F so that we could all have a different conflagration of those seats. And it, it's going to be, you guys should probably do a separate podcast, maybe with Nico, 
from the election commission to maybe talk about, have him better explain than I can how this is going to work out. Because it's a big deal. And our turnout is historically 17% in these municipal elections. And we all want better than that. And I appreciate that this podcast is actually one of the vehicles that means we might be able to do better if we can reach more voters in different ways. Yeah, I think that point is so important. We really need educated voters showing up at the polling places and making these key decisions. I personally was completely confused by the ABCD thing (laughs) when I looked at, but I did eventually figure out who was running in my district. So this is the last year for the five-year strategic plan for Worcester Public Schools. How do you think that went and what do you hope to see in the next strategic plan? I thought that our current school committee is like amazing. It was a historic election. Gemma Kamara, our first immigrant, 30-year-old candidate. Jermaine Johnson, first African-American male to serve on school committee. I believe that's right. And Tracy O'Connell Novick, who's served for many years. Molly McCullough's served for many years. Laura Clancy's relatively new. Laura had one more term than we did. What was unique about our whole group, I think, was that we were on board with the selection, the recruitment, the hiring of this new superintendent, who I believe has the skills and the vision to take this district to a place that when I talked to you guys before about Worcester could really do something really cool with its public school system, I believe this is the leader that could actually do that. And I do not, in my 40 years, my years, I have not seen that leader in our public school system. So it's really exciting to be able to work with her and to have a group of people that are on board and can, I think we're all in basic agreement about that. We have our differences on a bunch of different items, but we are Let's go. Let's take this to a new place. We could, this is for our kids. So I'm all in on that. And frankly, with the state of the state in Worcester and in across the country, there's going to, the election will create a lot of division and people with different views that are going to run. And so my number one reason this time is to do whatever I can to make sure that new superintendent is supported, her visions and her give her the time to to get something done. Yeah, I mean, I feel like even in any job that you take, I feel like the first year is really getting your bearings and really starting to move things forward, but you're not going to really get to solidifying your leadership and your progress until at least year two. So I absolutely respect your perspective on that. What do you think is the biggest challenge for the Worcester Public School System in the next two years? Also, Sue, really quickly, you were correct. Jermaine Johnson was the first Black American male to be on school committee. Okay, thank you. I thought so. (laughs) I think it's cultural. I think Rachel has spent the first year really trying to build a leadership team that that wants to roll the boat in the same direction. Our prior... There's been a lot, of, there's a lot of silos. It's a big system and it's take going to take strong leadership to get everybody going in the same direction. I have watched and witnessed a relationship and a lot of hard work happen at the district leadership team. There's been criticism. I'm sure you guys have read about it, about, oh, too much hiring and this and that. I'm going to tell you, 
we have been underfunded in this city for years. And as Student Opportunity Act money comes into the district, it is about time we build a system, an administrative support system for our 40 schools. My God, we have all these schools that are begging for administrative support. And we need a strong team with strong, strong leaders to, to make it all work. And I think the job for her for next year is to infiltrate to those principles, to get to, to continue to move into the system to make sure everybody understands where we're going and what we're trying to achieve. I love that. And I know that you touched base on our superintendent briefly, but I want to know if you could distinguish one thing that she's done in the first year that really has changed our perspective or how we see things or something actually logistical that's happening in the schools. What would that be? I would, I'm going to stick with my view that building her leadership team has been job number one and creating a team that is working together and not fighting against each other and not working in silos. I think that is an incredible foundation. I, it is, Dr. Menares is a very good listener. She is a very empathetic person. She is not about her. She is about our students and she remembers that every day. And that culture, that persona is instilled in that leadership team around her. And I think, I, I feel like it's an awesome launching off place, Giselle. That's awesome. And would you say that's the same thing that's happening within the school committee? I know that not everyone agrees all the time, but it seems that there's much more of a efficient workflow happening or maybe more communication happening within the school committee. Would you say that's a yes. assessment? I Gemma Germain and I were brand new. Again, Laura had two years ahead of us, but those, during COVID, so those are relative, a lot of new people. Tracy's expertise at the state with her job for the Mass Association of School Committees, and people may not realize she is incredibly generous with her time to bring people up to speed. And Jennifer, your point earlier about how long it takes people to learn a superintendent job or to be effective I'll tell you, a two-year term is insane, you guys, for school committee or city council, because it takes, you know, you're learning agendas, you're learning budgets, you're learning a lot of nitty gritty stuff. I and mean, we're doing it together. And everybody dug in, Giselle, to everybody dug in to say, we're not there to just fill a seat. We're there. To, we want to get stuff done. Well, I think we all believe that these kids right now, we owe them all of our efforts and energy. Absolutely. So you spoke earlier about vocational careers and I'm on the same page as you. I've watched a lot of people in my life live very good lives and have very fulfilling careers in the trades. So you've been vocal in the city around vocational education. It seems to be a topic you care about. So what do you think are the challenges here in Worcester with vocational education? One of the things, Jennifer, the, the story that I always like to tell people is like the smartest people I know are construction supervisors and that started as electricians, that they're journeymen, they're foremen, they're supervisors, they are, they learn people skills, they learn management skills, they learn, they know how to, they know how to light buildings up in my case, whatever your trade may be, or flush the toilets in other trade cases. 
And for so many years, for most of my life, it's been like, we look down on that. And I believe that these jobs make our city. And I am, one thing I've always connected the dots on is that we are spending a lot of money. We have a great vocational system. We need in this city, when we build, to hire local or local companies and organizations that are investing in registered apprenticeship programs because we know that those registered apprenticeship programs, more women come out of the trades in those programs, more people have color, the have come out of those programs and these are paths to the middle class. They're, I don't even know if it's right to say middle class anymore, but what it, these are great jobs and they're great. And so our vocational system in the last maybe 10 years, and frankly, you guys, I think Worcester was led the charge because we took what you know was at Wheaton Square and went up to Skyline Drive and we said, and look what happened to our school. It became a performer and people around the state and the city understood that, okay, wow, we're, we're actually going to value this kind of work. And you both will know this, but sometimes I think we forget vocational education is not just about the construction trades. It's about nursing. It's about manufacturing. It's about all kinds of other programs and vocational education evolves and we come up with what are going to be the new things that we think about in the future for trade jobs. And there's a lot of criticism that's happened over the years. Oh, kids are going to, we don't want them, they're going to go to college. I think we should be really candid. Our students in Worcester, if we look at the data, they may go to college. Some of them may go to college, but many are not completing even their first or second year. So my view of the world is if they've gone to a trade school, they are spending their teen years talking about careers and jobs and the future versus are they going to go to Boston College or Quinsig or, and I just think that is so incredibly value because it, valuable because it's like, that's where it's at. It's about the end goal. Why are we educating ourselves? It's the end goal. Where do we want to become as meaningful adults in this country. So I, in this city or whatever, but I think vocational education is a very practical means to get there. And I think, look at the cost of higher ed. We have to figure out how to get students where they need to get faster than we used to do it. And I think voquette is a great way to get it done. Challenges are challenges that have come up are admissions policies. Now the admissions policies that have been under some scrutiny across the state have, in a way, for someone that's been involved for so many years, for a lifetime, really, it's interesting because nobody really cared what the policy was. For yeah, can case. you share with us what, what is being challenged around the policy? What is the... What so is the, the idea was, and this is, I'm going to use language that I hear all the time, but it drives me insane. The right kids aren't getting into the vocational school. For the right kids. For the right yes. kids. How do you know who wants to be the electrician? How do you identify in the eighth grade who those kids are? So the policy around the state was always, it would be grades, it would be attendance. Discipline is a big deal in a vocational school because they can be dangerous. I'm talking about tools and machines and stuff like that. So it's always been a big indicator. 
as we saw Worcester Tech take off and become the highest performing high school in Worcester, we families see that. They knew that. They wanted their kids to go there. It's like common sense. And so then the concern was the smarty pants kids are getting in or the privileged kids are getting in and we're not getting, again, let me go back to the right kids. So who were supposed to be our carpenters and electricians? It's So there's a so we are at a place right now, we are in a really good place actually in Worcester with this whole discussion that's happened statewide. We have made sure that we've adjusted admissions policies so that it's not so much about the grades. It is about attendance. It is about discipline, but we're being much more wide-eyed and open. We are making sure that each of our high schools have proper representation, that it's not just kids. At one point it became a lot of kids from Forest Grove versus some of the other middle schools. But remember, before that, it was a whole different story. So it's like you're watching this thing go full circle. And one of the things that I have in my mind is that we need to make sure it doesn't go so full circle that we lose track of what we were trying to achieve in the first place. We have done really cool stuff in Worcester. We have innovative pathway programs, which are taking kids from the comprehensive high schools into the vocational school in the afternoon for programs from like one to four o'clock. If they don't get into Vogue, this is, so this is the idea. If they don't get into Worcester Tech, we need to create access. We'd say we need more vocational schools. I would be a fan when we look at Burncoat of a 50-50 vocational arts school. I can't think of a better marriage than arts and vocational. Imagine the programs that we could put on with some kind of a program like that. So what's going to be really important for us as we go forward is when we start, we're going to have some programs at Doherty, some programs at South. We need to make sure they're as top caliber as the programs at Worcester Tech. And we're going to make sure that we keep holding the bar and pushing the bar and in a comprehensive high school, you run into things with schedules that make it at Vogue, right? You're going to go one week on and one week off, one week in your trade and one week in the shop in academics. At the other schools that we haven't been able to meld those schedules. So I'm concerned that as we have our diesel program and our other programs that we make sure that those kids are getting enough hours in the shop. So that's another reason for me to run to make sure that I wanted to try to do what I could to make sure that we were looking at these programs and making sure they're as good as they can be. That's a lot of information. So that's sorry. a lot of great information. And I know that Jennifer would totally agree with that, that this is the point of this is so that way our audience, including ourselves, we learn more in these conversations. We can find this information online. We really don't know how to navigate that or what does that translate to? And oftentimes things that are written often don't translate to exact things in where you think they're going to work. Exactly. Um, and prime example is what's happening with the need to want to have a lottery system in all the vocational schools, like just overall lottery system. Uh, are you for or against a lottery system so in, for vocational in schools? So in general, I'm against a lottery because I feel like, okay, how do we know? So we have chosen in Worcester a modified approach, which I think I talked to you about. 
And I think the modified approach that we're trying to use is to make sure, again, we're getting representation from all over the city, that we are looking at grades in a similar way. And I want to make sure that we're doing it at Doherty and we're doing it at South and we're doing it, frankly, in any of the special programs that we have. If we create if they're admissions kind of things, we need them to be equitable. We need access. We need to make, so it's not, I'm, I talk a lot about the vocational system because that's what we're talking about now, but I think all of this is true for the Goddard Scholars Program, right? Which you guys are probably mm -hmm. were familiar with itself. Who are the kids that got into that program and how did they get in? And why shouldn't we be looking at all of those programs with an equity lens? And that is definitely we, where we are headed next year. And we have had conversations about that. So Giselle, outright lottery? Not really. Prove to me that's going to work. Prove to me over a number of years that we're going to have more black and brown kids or girls in the trades because we get there. I'm not, lottery's a crapshoot. I think we have a thoughtful plan for equity. And I think that's a there's a difference between a thoughtful plan for equity and a crapshoot lottery. Yeah, and I think that Jennifer and I would 100% agree with that because we know that a lottery is basically designating a set of number of seats and you're filling those same exact seats every single year. So if a school has 15 seats that are part of this lottery, then they're filling in 15 seats. It doesn't mean that it becomes more equitable in the sense that they're looking at students as a whole person. Right. They're looking at students through this checkbox, which may or may not be a good indicator that they are ready for something like this. We just saw the affirmative action get overturned through the Supreme Court this week. And as furious as Jennifer and I have been, we have been saying that the issue is that you are now allowed to really separate people. We're getting into this weird space of we're equal, but separate. And this is yeah. taking us back a step. Yeah. Yeah. In where a lottery is exactly that. It doesn't provide equity because we're not addressing the disadvantages that people are experiencing or students of color, students that are women are experiencing in the trade schools. It just yeah. allows us to fill. And it also reminds me of early education where we, a lot of these Head Start programs, and I don't know, I remember in New York, Head Start programs were, because there's so many, there wasn't a lottery. And yeah. here, because it's such a limited seat, they do a lottery system, which means that you're taking a chance that maybe 30% of our kids going to early education will have a leg up. And then the 70% of the kids that didn't get a seat are just pretty much asked out. They don't really have an option. It's and stunning, isn't it? It's, I know. It's stunning. And it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I'm sure it's, I'm speaking for the both of us here, but I know that Jen, it, we get upset about these things because it's not equitable and people don't really understand what well, it means. And the language that get, gets used around, it becomes inflammatory. I'd offer one other thought on that across different parts of the state. And this used to happen in Worcester too. There's also students at a particular school mean the city or town is going to get money for that student, right? X amount of dollars per student. There are many cities and towns that they'd say, oh, we're not taking, you're not taking enough of our kids in the vocational program. They're, the middle schools in places that I'm going to leave nameless for the moment, but in some gateway cities, weren't sending their kids 
in middle school to take a look at the vocational school because they really didn't want to lose them. Because if they lost those kids, they lost the money that they so desperately need for their schools. But I think it's interesting the way people view vocational schools. I remember when my son was entering high school, he wanted to go to, we lived in Shrewsbury at the time, so he would have yeah. went to Assabet Valley. And he really wanted to go, but his dad was like, no, vocational school is for bad kids. Yes. Yep. And and that's the context that we have for vocational schools. But then when we saw Obama show up and do the commencement for Worcester Tech, everybody's perception changed and it opened a lot of people's eyes. And now we're having this conversation about lottery and this and that. I know it's interesting. Before Before it was like, that's where we send all the bad kids. But then when we realized the good work that was happening there, all of a sudden, everybody wants a lottery. Exactly. Uh, And then then you go down into the rabbit hole of questioning people's motivations at that point. That's right. (laughs) And not even being honest about the comparison. Sue said something really important earlier where she said, we're pushing this concept of everyone has to go to college. And if we just look at the data and we are realistic, which I think... We can be optimistic and say every child is going to go to college and they're going to succeed. However, my generation has proven otherwise and where there are many people, Jennifer, walking around with multiple degrees and jobless. Can't even get a job. They're working at a supermarket because they can't get a job. I was watching something on TV where this, it was a black woman. She had received her bachelor's degree, master's degree, and actually went to law school. And she can't find a job, but now she has $200,000 in student loan debt and she can't find a job. It's exactly. So we, and even my time serving on the, as chair of the board at Quinsig, Quinsig is a gem and those community colleges can be really great places for skills, for certificates. We have to think of them as workforce places. Yes, they can also be a launching pad to Worcester State. But if we do this early college program, it can be like the secondary workforce place. Not even that. People don't realize also if you go to a community college and graduate from community college, a lot of the four-year universities offer discounts. For example, Boston University offers a 50% discount if you have a degree from a community college. That's pretty cool. and And like you said, we have to be realistic. First of all, college is not for everyone. And we shouldn't make people feel as though they have to go to college to be successful. Like that is not the only way to be successful. And we need to have more honest conversations with our children. Statistically, it's been coming out more and more data. And I'm like all here for it because I love to hear how people who have graduated from a Vogue school age 18, maybe 17, 18, the next couple years, they've come back and they're like, oh, I make six figures doing what I do. I've opened my own business doing what I do and hired friends that graduated with the same thing. And now we have a a thing in where our entire enterprise is just within us. And it's like you said, Jen, success, if you're defining it by monetary, which we shouldn't, however, that's another conversation. If we're defining it by your income and the ability to create a quality of life later on, then we should then understand that a carpenter has the same ability to succeed as a doctor. Because my oldest son's father is a carpenter. He's been working in construction for 20 plus years. 
he lives in Concord, Massachusetts. <laughs> okay, so <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna just leave it at that, right? I, I'm gonna guess he was a union carpenter, but no, actually, it. he's not. He's, he's not. not. No, the great. That's he's awesome. A four, and he's a foreman. It has been for years. That's so awesome. It's, there are other ways to success and we need to be able to encourage our children and our youth that are coming up and say, hey, there's different ways, there's different paths to success. And you said it too, Jen, our parents, let's talk with our parents. And- yes. Yeah. Yeah. And not only that, think about it. Anything else, if anybody would have told you, go to this place, pay a hundred thousand dollars, for education that may or may not result in you making a hundred thousand dollars. Right. If anybody gave you that business proposition, you'd say that is a stinky business proposition. I'm not exactly. doing that. But exactly. we sell that to our children anyways. Yep. A hundred percent. So you had voiced some concerns about the cultural relevancy and the Eurocentricness of the new English language arts curriculum in the Worcester Public Schools, and you voted against it in TLSS. Why did you end up being for it when it came to the full committee? So we had further discussion. So I learned, of course, I learned more, so I was able to make a different decision. But the reality is that none of these highly rated curriculums are really doing a great job on the cultural side right now, no matter which one we picked. And that's what I didn't know in TLS. That's what I learned afterwards. And I learned no matter which one we picked, we were going to have to supplement. And so I we listened to Marie Morse is in charge of academics and she's the deputy, one of the deputy superintendents. And our team is committed to it. We are going to make that happen. And that's going to have to be supplemented materials. You know, that we're not the only person that's bought this particular curriculum across the state or across the nation. So I think it's really smart if we learn from others too, and we don't try to recreate the wheel every time that we do something new. So I am, I voted yes, because we needed the new curriculum and we're going to have to do this kind of supplementary work no matter what curriculum we brought. And I believe that our leaders know that and that they're up to the task and that we're going we're gonna to do right by the cultural relevance of that curriculum. I think that's important, right? That there's an acknowledgement that there are certain areas within this curriculum that are deficient. We are saying as a community, as a school system, that we will address that through supplemental materials. I think exactly. And now we got to hold their feet to the fire. I think it would be different if you said, okay, we're approving this with no caveats. And I think what you're saying is right. And we all know this that the curriculums that are the established curriculums that are out there are not in most cases teaching cultural rele- relevance. Yeah, it's amazing. It's, it's it's a conversation that's only happened for what, five years. Yeah. However many years we've been talking about this, it's stunning that we're still not, don't have great products, but right. that's where we're at. <laughs> I get it. So you've been talking a lot about the school committee salaries, and I believe you mentioned in one of one of the videos that I watched that it's 50% of the city council. Yeah. Is that correct? It's actually part of the charter, and the charter says, the charter of the city says that school committee people will be compensated at 50% of city council. 
And why do you think that is? And why do you think it needs to change? So as a female business owner and so you know uh, where we has been <laughs> steeped, in, steeped in this kind of stuff, it's very clear to me that, and frankly, this isn't just Worcester, this is in a lot of places. And to me, it is just a, oh, that's one of those old boy things, right? The city work is important, but the school's maybe less important. All that gender stuff is part of how I believe we end up with pay systems that don't value what we're doing for our schools as much as we value what we're doing for our police and fire and DPW. I think that's what it stems from. And I, a big thing to me is I think that elected leaders need to talk about tough stuff. And the people that I want to support going forward are the people that want to talk about things that aren't right and things that we can do better. And this to me is just like a clear, like, it makes no sense. I mean, it, the work is significant. The work is, it's going to define our future. And that's not to say one is above the other, but it's to say city council, do something about this. At least talk about this. Do you all think this is right? Do you really? And I, I'll be frank. I push the mayor to say, please, Mr. Mayor, bring this to council because it's very clear to me that it's not right. And we need, we should be doing things about that. One example, right? We talked about the districts for, there's a lot of things in our charter that could be reviewed. We could make home rule petitions to fix them one at a time. We could look at our entire charter. But these are things that I think we have a responsibility as elected people to do something about instead of just like letting it go on and on. I hear you there. So we recently had another fight that kind of went to the city council floor around the teacher's salaries. And recently we avoided a strike and the teachers were able to negotiate one of the best contracts in the state. Yep. How do you think that will impact the Worcester public schools moving forward? I think that our teachers are going to feel valued. Our instructional assistants are going to feel valued. Part of getting underfunded for so many years impacts everybody. And it certainly impacts the people that are right in front of our kids every day, the teachers, the instructional assistants, the nurses, I mean, everybody on the front lines. And so it's about time we had the opportunity to rectify some of those wrongs that have gone on. So I think the union's happy with where we ended up. I think that the school committee's happy. And again, I'm going to give a tip of the hat to the superintendent who was, we want to do everything we can. She set the tone. We want to do everything we can to meet our educators as best we can. So for constituents who would be voting for you, what is left undone? What do you, why should we put you back in that seat? What are your priorities for your next term? So one of the priorities I have is, so you want to put me back in that seat if you are supportive of the work of the vision of the superintendent. If you want to see this district set up for the next number of years, you want to vote for people that are going to work hard to support this superintendent. We tear people down as quickly as we bring them in. And this woman and her family have moved from California to come to Worcester. And we owe her every opportunity to do everything that I believe she can do for our families and our kids. The second one is my continued work with around vocational education. But I think the pillar that is it's our repairs and maintenance of our buildings. Our buildings are aging. 
They have massive, I think the average age is 75 years old. And again, because we've not had dollars over the years, we've not really had, we've not been able to do the upkeep. So we are way behind in upkeep. I serve on the finance and operations committee, and I've asked that we have a monthly review of where we're at in terms of repairs and maintenance on our building so that we could keep a close eye on it. Um, we did that with bus transportation. Bus transportation was new. We brought in our own buses and hired our own drivers this year. And we had a successful, a really successful launch. And it's we're getting all kinds of awards for it, even regionally and nationally. And I think that same kind of focus is what we need on our buildings because that's a massive equity issue, right? Sometimes which buildings got built, which buildings got repaired. We need to make sure we're looking at those, that repair and maintenance work with equity. And I'd like to be involved with that. And I'd say those are three things that I'll say right now. There's 10 others, Jen, but I'll let it go with those. <laughs> so tell everybody where we can find you and get information or reach out to you and any last thoughts that you have for our audience. Thank you for having me today. I think a lot of both of you, and I think this kind of forum is really cool. So I look forward to listening to all kinds of people. I am on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm most active on Twitter, as some of you guys might know too. And that's at Sue Mailman. I have a website, suemailman.org, and you can get attached to everything via that website. And I'm pretty easy to find. Thank you for your time. I just want to say that I am doing this because our next generation of kids is who's going to be us very soon, sooner than we think. And I have the time and the energy, and I believe that my business experience and my workforce development experience is really helpful right now. We appreciate you joining us. We appreciate you sharing your views and information with our audience. So thank you for coming and joining us on Don't Touch My Podcast, our special summer series, Don't Touch My Politics. Thank you. And we'll talk to you guys next time.